Hello, and welcome to this FRDH, First Rough Draft of History podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. As I record this, the final results of America's 2022 midterm elections are still not in, but you could begin a rough draft of their history. The president's party usually loses seats, but Joe Biden's Democrats did better than presidents of either party have done for the last couple of decades. Many of the candidates personally endorsed by Donald Trump lost, which may be interpreted that he's losing his grip on the Republican Party. But the critical barrier he broke, that democracy could be questioned, that election results could be ignored, that inciting a mob to overturn a result by storming the Capitol, trying to stop the certification formalities of the election, and threaten the lives of the Vice President and the Speaker of the House, the people next in line for the presidency in case of illness or death, that has become a new and malign precedent. Democracy only counts when the strong man wins. The cult of the strongman, autocratic rule, has taken hold of a significant minority in American society, and that puts me in mind of a Bible story. So, it's time for a Bible study for atheists. The subject is how the ancient Israelites demanded a king and brought about their own destruction. It was a tale I first heard in Hebrew school when I was 10 or 11, and it's always stayed with me. I learned it in the context of America after World War II, when democracy was vigorous and victorious, and it resonated with what I was learning in school about the American Revolution and the overthrow of the rule of King George III. The fact that the ancient Israelites wanted a king was presented as an error. The story is told in the first book of Samuel, and begins in chapter 8, when Samuel, the last of the judges and first of the prophets, is old. The judges were not so much rulers as acknowledged leaders of the tribes of Israel. The prophets were believed to have direct guidance from God. The Israelites have no king because, well, that's one of the words they use for God, Hamelech, our king, but now they are demanding one. Samuel has given over much of his authority to his sons, and the Israelites don't like their leadership. In Samuel 8, everything comes to a head, and the judge prophet asks the Lord for guidance. Verse 7, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And this Samuel does, and he makes the case to his unruly co-religionists against having a king. Verse 11. This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your manservants and your maidservants and your goodliest young men. And he will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants. 
He'll take everything, because that's what kings do. And Samuel concludes, And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Do the Israelites listen? No. They tell Samuel, We will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations. Now the essence of Israel is that it is chosen by God, and not like other nations. In this demand they are forsaking the Lord's kingship, but also his covenant. Samuel relates their words to the Lord, and God says, Hearken unto their voice, and make them a king. Samuel is led to a brave fighter named Saul, and anoints him the king of Israel. And then, as the story comes to an end in chapter 12, verse 25, warns the Israelites, But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. And that's pretty much what happened. The succession to Saul was fraught, but the shepherd David, who had slain the Philistines' giant warrior Goliath, becomes king and builds Israel into a local power. His son Solomon expounds on his father's conquests and builds the temple in Jerusalem. But then it all falls apart. In the Bible, and in as much of the historical record as can be pieced together, civil war among the tribes leads to not one, but two kingdoms. The northern kingdom of Israel, home of ten of the twelve tribes, is conquered by the Assyrians, and all its people carried into captivity. They disappear from history. A few generations later, the Babylonians conquer the southern kingdom of Judah, headquartered in Jerusalem, and destroy the temple. Now, it seems that America is going through a similar evolution. Too many Americans want to forsake the democracy we have inherited and modified and for the most part improved in fits and starts over 230 plus years and bring the country under the rule of an autocrat, which is a fancy word for a king. An autocrat, a dictator like they have in Russia, China and other places, even those places where people vote. Benjamin Netanyahu has just been voted back into office in Israel. He never demurs when his ecstatic supporters chant, Bibi HaMelech, Bibi HaMelech, Bibi the King. And this is not something that started with Donald Trump. This hunger for a strong man has been present for a long time in a significant section of American society. Exactly 30 autumns ago, 1992, I made my first reporting trip to the U.S. for the BBC after leaving the country for what has turned out to be forever. I was supposed to write an Alistair Cook-like letter about the state of the country as the first President Bush and Bill Clinton and Ross Perot campaigned for the presidency. One night, I found myself in a cafe in rural Maine. The summer folk and leaf peepers were long gone, and the year-round residents were drawing in for the long season. My wife and I drove around for quite a while looking for an open restaurant, and when we found one, for whatever reason, people started telling us their tales of woe. We were like wedding guests stopped by the ancient mariner. I had left the country as Ronald Reagan's morning in America had given way to high noon, but reality had brought evening sooner than expected in the shape of a serious recession. Now I was hearing stories of crushed illusions. When I got back to London, I ended my essay by conflating a couple of catchphrases from the end of the 80s. Whatever it takes, 
the slogan of can-do Reaganite America and make it all go away, the instruction of the Wall Street types who had crashed the economy to their lawyers when they were being sued for dodgy practices. Whatever it takes, just make it all go away. This is what many people wanted from their president. Throughout the 90s, my years with NPR, I took busman's holidays and traveled around the U.S. for the BBC World Service. In the Midwest, in Mississippi, and along the U.S.-Mexico border, I listened to many stories of intractable local problems, and there were plenty of people who expressed a desire for a strong man, had to be a man, who would do whatever it took to make the problems go away. After the attacks of September 11th, a majority of Americans were willing to cede excessive authority to the second President Bush in the hope that he would somehow make the asymmetrical threat of Islamist terror go away. And it's not a surprise that the only midterm election in the last 40 years in which a president's party gained seats in both houses of Congress was the midterm election in 2002, just a year after 9-11. Even after Bush's catastrophic failure in Iraq, the desire for a strongman didn't disappear. People were waiting for a better choice. Clownish as he seemed to many, Donald Trump was the person those who were tired of democracy and wanted a strongman with king-like authority fixed on. In the two elections he contested, nearly half the country, 46%, voted for him. One of the initial takes following the Republicans' failure in the 2022 midterms is that Trump is done. Many of the candidates he backed lost. His power over the Republican Party will ebb rapidly because there is a new strongman, smarter, more disciplined, less crazy, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. As Trump-backed candidates failed all over America, DeSantis just won a landslide re-election. Seeing DeSantis as the likely 2024 Republican nominee is as good a first take as any. Certainly, Florida's governor thinks that is his destiny. In the last week of campaigning, his backers ran an ad that begins with an image of ocean breaking on a beach, an image that suggests the creation story in Genesis, with the Lord separating the waters from the dry land, and a voice intoning, and on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a protector, so God made a fighter. And up comes a still photo of smiling Ron DeSantis. When the Israelites demanded a king to rule them rather than God, they set a course for their destruction. Ironically, now, in the name of God, a large number of Americans seem like they want to set out on the same path. A ruler chosen by God. It's not where America started from. In the country's founding documents, you don't see the word, nor do you see the word Savior, which is direct reference to Jesus Christ and was in common use in the 18th century. In his first inaugural address, George Washington references the Almighty Being who rules over the universe, the great author of every public and private good, the benign parent of the human race. He does not speak of Jesus or the Savior and would not have recognized the modern political Christian's God. 
By the end of his second term, Washington had become something like Samuel, a judge and prophet, warning about political factionalism because it leads to discord, and, he reminds people in his farewell address, in times of discord, the disorders and miseries which result gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual, and sooner or later the chief of some prevailing faction, more able or more fortunate than his competitors, turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. America today remains hopelessly divided, and more than a few people are tiring of the discord and seeking the security that comes in giving an individual absolute power. Donald Trump may not be the one. Next time around they may choose DeSantis. And if it doesn't work with DeSantis, they will look for another. And if that person doesn't work out, then another. That's the meaning of Samuel and the children of Israel. Autocracy is an impulse in most societies, even nominally democratic ones. It doesn't take much to activate that impulse, but once a nation gives itself over to an autocrat, monarch or dictator, it has begun the march to ruin. And that's all for this FRDH podcast. Please visit the website, www.goldfarbpod.com, and make a donation to keep the podcasts coming. Thanks.